Uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Isaac Baugh. Uh, I am the intern down at Covenant OPC with Pastor Mark Collinridge. Uh, yes, he is as annoying as you all believe him to be, even more so when we get to meet every week. Um, but that's a, uh, it's a blessing to be up here to see you guys, uh, worship with you. Um, so this morning, I thought what I would bring uh, for Sunday school is I read a book. It's been, it's been a long time since I've read the book, but it made a big impact on me and about how I uh, thought about my Christian walk. Uh, and this book was called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Uh, so the author is named Jeremiah Burroughs. Uh, maybe you've read the book. I saw you nodded. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, I recommend you read it for yourself. Uh, today, we're not going to be going through the book, but taking some of his insights, thinking about contentment, uh, and specifically Christian contentment, right? What does that mean for us, for our walk as Christians? What does it mean to be content? Um, and also, what does it mean to be discontent as Christians? Um, but before we get started, uh, why don't we uh, pray? Heavenly Father, uh, your word is a fount of wisdom for us. There is so much to learn and to be taught. As we come before you, uh, we ask that you would teach us about contentment, that you would work on our hearts, Lord, that you would convict us where we are discontent, but that you might also uh, drive us to the cross to see Christ, to understand you and how we might serve you uh, in our daily life a little bit better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so first, let's talk about what contentment is. If I had to ask you guys, right, what's a verse that you can think of, or maybe a, a concept about contentment, um, how would you describe contentment? What do you think? Let me, let me jumpstart you a little bit. Um, there's a verse in Philippians 4 where Paul says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what do you guys think of that? Why does Paul, in Philippians 4, so that's verse uh, 13, the secret, why does he call contentment the secret? Right? He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and want. What do you think? Why is contentment something that Paul describes as a secret? It's not natural to us. Or easy. Or easy. Exactly, yeah. Why, do you, why is it... Oh, I'm sorry. Is it the opposite of coveting? That's a great point. Uh, is it the opposite of coveting? Um, definitely. I think there's a strong link uh, between coveting and, and contentment. Um, what do you think it's not natural to us? Definitely. We're, we're never satisfied. Think back to, uh, to the garden. Right? Adam and Eve had every tree in the garden to eat from, but what was the one tree that they wanted, the one they couldn't have? 
Right? They had everything that they could be content with, but that's kind of how sin and especially how the devil worked was he worked into their minds like, well, you don't have everything. Here's, a, here's something that Burroughs says when he talks about contentment. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I want to repeat one part of that, right? Contentment freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Right? If, if contentment and coveting maybe are, are kind of opposites, right? coveting would be something that is not submissive. Or maybe you could think discontentment is not submissive to the Lord, uh, not delighting in what God gives. But Paul also says, right, he calls this a secret, I think partly because it's not natural to us, um, but I think also because it's, it's something that we have to, it's not easy, right? In a sense, coveting, or not coveting, uh, contentment is a skill. It's something we have to learn, right? So it's not something that you are born and you are content, right? You learn contentment after a year, years and years and years of, of wrestling, of uh, having to trust the Lord, of dealing with both plenty and want. You know, it's interesting that Paul says that, that he doesn't just say, I have found the secret of living with nothing. Right? Because that's probably when we think about contentment, we think having stuff. But Paul doesn't say that having stuff is what solved his issues. He says, I've learned the secret of having stuff and of not having stuff. In a sense, these are both uh, things that the Christian will wrestle with. If you think about Jesus and his teaching about uh, riches and wealth, who does he say uh, has more trouble getting into the kingdom of heaven? The poor man or the rich man? It's the rich man. Isn't that interesting? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. So contentment is not just about how much you have. It's not just about, do I have enough money for the upcoming bills? If you do, then you're content. Nor is it just about having nothing. You know, you have nothing in the cupboard. You say, well, I'm just going to be content with the crackers that God gives. There's a sense where we have to be content in every circumstance, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. I think for the world, right, contentment is about having more stuff. So when Paul says that this is a secret, I think the world doesn't understand this. That's partly why he calls it a secret. So how does a person or a Christian become content? How do you get there? Definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a sense where uh, we are already full. Regardless of our bank account, of our cupboard, right, of even our family, whether we have lots of kids or none, whether we have lots of money or nothing, whether we have a great job or a bad job, we are full in Christ. And so we can be content in every circumstance because we already have everything we need. We're already alive in Christ. Well, more could be added to us that we need something more. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is, uh, you picked up on it. Like he says that he learned these things. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Right? This is not something that comes naturally. It's not something that comes easily. Um, There's a sense where we, even though we have everything in Christ, have to wrestle with the fact that we, in this life, are faced with challenges. Sometimes the challenge is having a lot. And like I said, with Jesus saying, easier for a rich man to get, or a camel to go through the eye of a needle, sometimes even having a lot is something that impedes us from fully trusting in Christ. Because we are tempted to put our comfort, our contentment, not in Christ, right, but in those things that we have and our material riches. Think about this. Uh, Let me ask this question. Why should we seek contentment? What's the point of maturity, for one thing? Mm -hmm. Sanctification is something that's promised to us in the process. Uh, And to grow content means you're growing in your trust in Christ, basically. Mm No, definitely. It's part of sanctification. It's part of our, our growth and maturity uh, as we learn more and more what it's like to live as a Christian, what it's like to live uh, not for ourselves, but for Christ. Definitely. Why else? Why else should we, should we seek contentment? Absolutely. Being discontent is like telling God that he hasn't done enough for us. Yeah. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Mm-hmm. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that's that's a good point. Just because we're, you know, we are growing maturity, it's not just for us, right? But I think there's also a part of it where being content is a blessing to others. We're able to bless others. Uh, we're not so focused on how much we have. Maybe we're a little bit more generous because we're content not in those things but in Christ. Maybe. Uh, you know somebody, or maybe you even struggle with this, right? When you are so worried about, uh, about the bills that are coming up, right, do you give as much in church? 
or are you as generous with other people? And even when we have a lot, sometimes we can be so, it can be really hard to part with it, to give it to others, to be generous. Yeah, but when we're content, that attitude spills over into our generosity. It spills over in how we treat others. I think that's a great point. You had your hand up. Right, because I'm, I'm drawing a contrast between how the world views contentment. Contentment for the world is much more material. Contentment is much more tangible. Um, not necessarily that it's how much is in your bank account, right, but it's about your security. It's about your, your comfort level. Right? Do you have enough? Uh, are you comfortable? Do you feel like you are satisfied in life? Mm-hmm. We totally. Have to think that we can do that ourselves. Yeah. He says, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." And in John fifteen five, Jesus said, "Without me, you can do nothing." It's yeah. It's got to be Him that works it in us. We can't perform it. Yeah. Now there's there's a sense where there's one attitude of contentment where it's something that you grasp for yourself through your own labors, through uh, your your uh, taking care of your own business. Um, going out and working, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, like that's how you'll get to contentment. But Scripture never tells us that's how we will become satisfied. Scripture never tells us, hey, go and, you know, you're going to be content if you just go and work. It tells us to go work, right? But think about when Paul commanded the thief to work. Why was it? It wasn't just so that he might become satisfied in himself. Let him go and work so that he has some bread to give to others. Contentment is not just about us. 
It's not just about our attitude, our comfort, right? Contentment, when we are satisfied in Christ, is meant to spill over into other people's lives, into our neighbors, into our brothers and sisters, right? We are called to be a community, a people of God, not individuals who, you know, we're all on our own personal walks with Jesus. And while that's true in a sense, we are called together uh, to be uh, a church, to be one body. I want to read this quote by Burroughs because um, I think it's going to hit on some of the, the distractions of the world. My brethren, the reason why you do not have contentment in the things of the world, it's not because you don't have enough of them. The reason is that they are not things proportional to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. Another way to put this is, it's, you're, not, you're not discontent because you don't have enough. You're discontent because you are capable of so much more than just earthly, material things. You are capable of communion with Christ, of walking with him. C.S. Lewis said it like this, right? It's, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. I love this illustration. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in, a, in the slums because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think that's hitting at one of the reasons why Christians become so discontent is we start to buy into the idea that these are things that will satisfy us. We begin to buy into the idea that this is what it's like to live a blessed life. That God's blessings are about our material comfort. And while it's true, God blesses us in those ways, Scripture never promises us that we will be comfortable. In fact, Scripture tells us to think of suffering as a blessing. Scripture tells us to, to think about our trials as a blessing. Because we can, do all, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So how can we work on contentment? If this is something we should pursue, right, we're, we're talking about what it is, about what it's not, but how do we get there? Yeah, definitely. It starts with our thoughts, being intentional about that, holding our thoughts captive to Christ. What else? How else can, how else, um, what did I ask? Right, what are the ways that we can work on contentment or that we can pursue it? Absolutely. 
Yeah. 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 I think, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm going to say something general, so you, you go ahead. Definitely denying your desires because you're, let's face it, we're going to have desires for more. When we get a taste of those things, it's, it kind of snowballs pretty easily. Yeah, I think in, in a general sense too, community as the church, right, when we come to church, one of the things that we are seeing and laying hold of is Christ through the word and through the sacrament. So fellowship with, with other Christians, um, praying together, right, going to church, hearing sermons, taking the supper. like These are all ways that we ourselves can pursue contentment because we're being satisfied by Christ. Right? When you feed yourself with the right things, you don't want junk food anymore. If you eat healthy and good, you start to realize, I don't even want, I don't even want uh, McDonald's anymore. I want good stuff. Right? My, my wife bakes bread, and her bread is delicious and amazing and nutritious, to the point where I don't even really want like store-bought bread anymore because her bread is better. It's nutritious. It's the same thing. When we come to the, uh, to the Lord and receive from Him, we start to realize, man, I don't even want the things of the world anymore. They don't fill me like Christ does. And that's part of our maturity, too, is we just grow more and more into realizing, I don't want anything but Christ. To the point where, I mean, hopefully in all of our lives we can... Say truly, there is nothing that I desire in heaven or on earth but you, Lord. Um, I think someone said it at some point, but the sovereignty of God is also an important concept in contentment, um, especially as we think about suffering, as we think about how we are called right, as, as the people of God, to count those things as joys and as blessings, is we have to understand God's providence. And Burroughs uh, expands upon this and kind of gives four concepts or four uh, parts of God's providence to think about. One is the universality. There is nothing outside of the scope of God's providence. There's nothing too little in our lives that is outside of God's providence. There's nothing too big. Right, But there's also uh, the efficacy of, of providence or God's power in providence. There's nothing that we can do to alter it. We can't, in our grumbling, force God to give us something that we want. And sometimes, when he does actually give us what we want, we're like, ugh, I actually didn't want this at all. Right? You see how it doesn't satisfy um, there's also the intricacy of providence. 
Uh, for me, this was important because it helped me realize that my life is not just about my little sphere. Um, but uh, Burroughs talks about it like uh, a bunch of gears. Right? One big gear affects a bunch of little ones. So God's providence is not just you know, one little tiny isolated incident, but he has so much more in mind. And we have no idea how this one aspect of our life is going to affect someone else's life, uh, our kids' lives, or even some part of, of somebody we don't even know. That's kind of like a tapestry. If you look at it underneath it, it just looks all ugly. But when you turn it over, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. God's providence is, is much more vast than we realize or give him credit for. Um, but there's also particular providence towards his people. God has a purpose in our lives. And the purpose is not to make us comfortable. The purpose is not so that we will, you know, be wealthy and happy and live full lives here on earth. The purpose, right, is to make us more like Christ. And so if we want to see what the Christian life looks like, we can look to Christ and his life. Right? We can look to him and how he was content, how he lived a life not for his own desires, not for his own gains, but lived for others. He lived uh, submitting to and delighting in God's will. But also, I think that when we look to Christ's life, we can also see grace for ourselves. When we see that when Jesus was about to go to the cross, he prayed, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I think if we look at that, we can see, okay, there's a way that we can be content, but also even Christ had to wrestle with this. We do too. We can't, we can't just be perfectly content all the time. We sometimes have to wrestle, and that's not a bad thing. The Lord uses that too in our lives to sanctify us, to show us his providence, how he has particular care for us as his people. Right? And even the sense that God uses the greatest evils for the good of his people. So think about this now. And when, when are we supposed to end? Quarter till. Okay, great. Um, let's, let's start thinking about discontentment a little bit deeper. Is discontentment sinful? Is, dis, is discontentment sinful? I guess because it's it's telling God, you know, what you've done for me isn't enough. You know, it's all about me, and how come you didn't give me more stuff? You know, it's that's why it's sinful. We'll never be content on sanctification until we're in glory. So we got to keep striving for that. But here, it's it's a struggle. Yeah, it's real struggle. It is. 
I, I get to ask this as a little bit of a trick question because it's both yes and no, um, right? There is a sense where discontentment is sinful, um, but I think there's also a place for uh, what Pastor Mark called holy discontentment, a sense where we are discontent um, with the brokenness, the emptiness, our own sin, how the things that were created to be good have been warped and twisted into bad things. We're not supposed to be content with those things. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 120 for, um, for the sermon today. And 120 is the psalm of a discontent person. But he's not discontent because God hasn't given him enough stuff. He's discontent because when he looks at the world, it's, it's broken. He wants peace because he, the Lord has given him a desire for peace, but he can't see it or find it. So I think there's a sense where Christians should be discontent with the way the world is because we're made for something greater. We're made to live with God in his presence perfectly with peace and no sin. If we want anything less than that, right, maybe we need to ask, so am I setting my sights too low? Am I being too easily satisfied if I'm okay with you know, just going through the motions? Um, but discontentment, let's talk about it as the sinful aspect of it. So a couple people have mentioned, right, it's, it's ultimately telling God um, that he hasn't done enough or he hasn't given me enough. But what are other ways that discontentment can warp your heart, warp your thinking? Definitely. Why should that person have that not being? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why has God blessed them with this thing that I want? Why don't I get that thing? It could be as simple as a job, a girlfriend, a car, money, house, name it. Yeah. Right. Exodus 20, right? Don't covet your neighbor's house, their wife. Their livestock, don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. Like you're gonna you're gonna want to. You're gonna look at what you have and say, well, the grass is greener on the other side. Right? If only my wife was like this, if only my husband was like this, if only my job was like this, or my boss was like that. Like if only, if only, if only. And we start living in this kind of world where we're just living for the things that we wish things were. Instead of being content and submitting to the way things are. I think that spills over into so much else in our life, right? It spills over because when we go through trials, right, there's just a sense where we get so discontent that we start asking or saying, man, if only it was like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Yeah, I think we are self-centered, um, and so we want good things for ourselves, and so we we don't look to how we can bless others. Right? We look to how we can get something out of it. There's a there's a deep manipulation that can happen um, from discontent people, where they can kind of view people as as whether they realize it or not, but they view people as means to an end. Right, and that is one of the dangers of discontentment is we can become manipulative people. We can become people who use others. And in the church, that's devastating because we want to bless others, right? But when we are blessing someone else and we see them using it, using us, that's tough. We have to think about that a lot more deeply. We don't have enough time to talk about it, but you know how Christ responded to people who tried to use him uh, is really interesting. I think there's a lot more to talk about and how Christ responded to discontent people. Um, maybe another time we'll be able to talk about that. Let me, uh, let me read another quote from Burroughs about discontentment and about um, how that reflects Christ. It, it, as in discontentment, is strongly contrary to the sight of the infinite excellence and glory of Jesus Christ and of the things of the gospel. What am I, the soul to whom the Lord has revealed the infinite excellence of Jesus Christ, and yet shall I think such a little affliction to be so grievous to me when I have had the sight of such glory in Christ as is worth more than 10,000 worlds? We can be so focused on those little discontentments, those little uh, pricks in the side, the little struggles um, that we just lose focus of the grandeur, the amazing uh, truth of the gospel. The busier we get, the more focus we get uh, in the things of the world, the easier it is to lose sight of the gospel to lose sight of the bigger purpose God has for us, for the world, uh, for our families, for our children. Right? There's some real depth to that. What are some of the excuses we make when we are discontent? In a sense, yeah. It's a little bit of a slap in the face to God. Like, why are you doing this? God's like, because I'm God. What else? What other excuses can we make?
that fine. And we don't realize sometimes that that very struggle we're going through is what he's trying to teach us. Yep. That is, that is a, a tough thing to learn, but our lives are a lot more peaceful when we do learn that. Not, you know, easier necessarily, but more peaceful for sure. Um, here's another excuse that Burroughs brought up that I thought was really insightful. Um, the discontented heart will say, uh, I am not so much troubled with my afflictions than with my sin. It is my own sin that troubles me. Uh, there's a sense where we can be uh, really discontent in our lives and we can say, well, I'm just discontent because I'm such a sinner. And I'm just not content with my sin, you know. And that's a good thing. There's a good thing there. But often that can pave over, right, the other things that we are truly discontent about. Because sometimes, right, when we apologize for our sin, we're actually shifting the blame to someone else. Think about Adam. When God confronted Adam in his sin, everything that he did was a blame shift. Well, the woman that you, God, gave me, right? She and you are the problem. And he could maybe say in a sense, like, it's true, she did give him the apple to eat. But that does not excuse him from taking and eating, right? But we can sometimes blame other people's sin. We can be discontent. We can look at others and say, man, I'm just discontent with how you are. Instead of, you know, being at peace with the people around us that the Lord has given us, submitting to God's purposes in, in their lives and in our lives. Yeah, it's, these are good lessons to learn, trust me. I'm still so young and, yeah. Um, another excuse. Another excuse that we sometimes use is, I think what, kind of getting at what you said, right, was, that we think, well, I'm just not prepared for this. Like, I'm just not equipped to deal with this. Like, if God wants me to go through this, then why not equip me for it? Like, why not make me strong enough to go through it? And there's a sense where sometimes we take that verse where it says, God will never tempt you more than you can bear, and we use that verse in a little way to say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not entirely untrue. Right? But when we look at it through our lens, through a humanistic focus, we are saying, well, God will only give to me what I right now can handle. I can handle whatever God throws at me, is basically what we're saying. And then when something comes at us that we can't handle, what are we going to think of God? What are we going to think of ourselves? I think there is a sense where sometimes God does give us more than we can handle. Not because he hates us or wants us to suffer, but because he wants us to learn and to grow and to become more like Christ. Because it is actually through that thing that we can't handle that we are going to grow. That we are going to become more like Christ, become stronger in our faith, cling to Christ more tightly. Because if it was just all stuff we could handle, then what need would we have of Christ? But Paul says, right, that he can't learn this stuff, he can't do this stuff except through Christ. 
that he can only do all things through Christ. Yeah. You know, the bottom lines have got to be the sovereignty of God. He never does anything wrong, ever. And it's always for our good and his glory. That's the bottom line for all of, all of life. It really is trust in his sovereignty. Yeah. So one of the things that we should do is lay hold of that truth. Right? Lay hold to what God has given us in Christ and cling to that no matter what comes at us, because that is how we will learn to be content in plenty and in want. Yeah, Janet. Would you repeat the title of the book, please? Sure. It's uh, called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Are there any uh, closing questions before we wrap up? Okay, well, let me pray for us uh, as we wrap up and prepare to worship our Lord. Father, we thank you for the riches of glory that you have given to us through Christ Jesus. Thank you for the sufferings that he went through in order to bring us into your family. Lord, uh, we are easily discontent. We are easily pleased with the things of the world. We quickly, Lord, turn to accusations against you and against others when we don't get what we want. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us, that you would restore our hearts so that we might be satisfied in Christ, so that we may uh, lay hold of Christ and all of his benefits, that you may fill us up so that we would no longer want the things of this world that our desires for sin and lust would die and that you would give us desires for you, desires uh, that can only be fulfilled in Christ and in his kingdom. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.